Today on Soundtrack Alley, you'll hear as I interview Craig Safin for round three of a chat about his new album, LAX. We'll talk about how he came up with the idea, how he formed the tracks, and so much more. Along with it, you'll hear various selections from the album right here on the show. So sit back, relax, as the show begins now. Craig, I'd like to welcome you once again to Soundtrack Alley. It's really great to be able to have you on my show for a third time in a row. Is it three times? I guess so. Yeah. It is. We yeah. did the last Starfighter interview together. Oh, yeah. um, and I interviewed you for Sirens, That's which right. was really good. Yeah. And so for this new album, uh, LAX, EX, we're going to do it again. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm really excited about the album, and I, yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, that's, that's the best part. What or When did you begin writing this album? Uh, I really started it shortly after Sirens. So I think I started it about three years ago. I started to, even maybe before, I started just sketching ideas meaning I would go and put down some ideas and notes. And I wrote up a lot of, I mean, the whole idea was that after Sirens and, and then my previous uh, album, Rough Magic, they were pretty serious and heavy. And I thought, what should I write about next? And then I thought, well, I've grown up in Los Angeles. I love Los Angeles. I've lived in New York. I've lived in London. I went to school in Boston. I, I, you know, I've traveled quite a bit, but I love Los Angeles. It, it's just so unique, and there's a humor about it, and there's all these great memories. And also, I remember it from back, you know, in the, in the like late '50s when I was a little boy. It's changed dramatically. In fact, one of the feelings I got during the pandemic last year, where all the traffic disappeared, <laughs> was wow, this is like going back to the 1950s in L.A. before it was wall-to-wall -wall traffic. Um, but anyway, I started writing, just writing down ideas. Oh, uh, that place is sort of interesting. That memory is interesting. Oh, I, where I grew up in this house, that has a really interesting, nostalgic feeling. And then I started just writing I, musical ideas for each one. And over time... They started developing, and I had way too many for an album. As it is, I think 16 of them got on the album. But um, I found that not only was it rather nostalgic, but it was very humorous. So, I mean, there are things about L.A., especially growing up in L.A., that are funny. Uh, 
I mean, Hollywood is a hoot, and the beach, and and just the whole, all, all the cultural things around, and and then just the amount of different culture, like the Latino culture, so it it just gives so much more to the community to have all these cultures around. And so I had I had a lot of fun writing this. So, I mean, there are some serious moments and some uh, interesting musical moments, but it basically was a lot of fun to do. I stopped uh, about a year and a half ago. I was commissioned to do, I guess it was almost two years ago, I was commissioned to do a new uh, score for Phantom of the Opera, the uh, Lon Chaney Silent. Oh, and wow. That was, that was so much work for an orchestra. It was like an hour and a half of music. And so that took me about three or four months to write. And then it was performed the summer before last uh, in a park with a full symphony and a couple thousand people there. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and then when I finished that, I, and then the pandemic started, I went, wow, what am I going to do? And I thought, oh, I think I should finish LAX. It needs a lot of players on it, and I can do that remotely. And, you know, so, so it's been a project that's been around for at least, I'd say, three to four years.
what got you thinking about the type of music you wanted to display when composing this new album? Well, I'm a big believer, especially after having gone, gone into this phase of my life where I'm doing more of my own music, not connected to a film. I'm a big believer in non-generic music. In other words, everything seems to have to fit into a, a genre. Is mm -hmm. it classical music? Is it new music? Is it electroacoustic? Or is it hip hop? Is it country? Is it, you know, is it alternative rock? And I just realized that I never fit into any categories, which made, I think, help my film music career because I could, as you know, uh, I mean, I've gone from things like The Last Starfighter, which is just a huge orchestral piece, to electronic film scores, to uh, rock and roll film scores, you know, all, all over the place. So the style of LAX, I felt, should jump all over the place, depending on what the subject was, what I was writing about. So if I was writing about, let's say, this club that was uh, sort of a hippie hangout back in the late 60s, you know, it should have hints of the Doors and the Beatles and you know, psychedelics. But hopefully, even though each track on the album has its own unique style, they're all united by something in me that, you know, it does sound like me and there's a lot of weirdness and musical tricks going on. It's not just let's do a Jim Morrison sound alike. It doesn't quite work like that. It's hopefully way more interesting than that.
what inspiration motivated you to like create some of the unique pieces of music that's included on the album? One of them uh, I recall was, well, before we started recording was um, Hitching a Ride or even Pandora's Box. Yeah. Well, um, Hitching a Ride was a memory of when I was a teenager, I would hitch from where I lived in LA, which was maybe about five miles to the coast. And I would, all summer, I would hitch rides to the coast where I'd meet with my friends on the beach and hang out. And in those days, hitching wasn't considered dangerous. You know, now it's like, oh, don't let your kids hitch and stuff like that. I think there have just been too many zombie movies made. I don't think it's, you know, everybody's scared. But anyway, my idea was, well, this was sort of like a cartoon. And I I did this music that was uh, almost like Mission Impossible kind of theme with with a lot of trombones, you know, that sort of thing. And a twangy guitar and the high organ from that 1960s, early 60s, sort of pre-psychedelic period. And I was trying to, my thought of a lot of this music is that it's like film music without the film. So this one is like a young teenage, like a 13-year-old pimply-faced kid who's trying to hitch a ride to the beach. And so he's going, huh, Pacific Coast, PCH, which is Pacific Coast Highway in how we say it out here, you know, beach, beach, you know, and he has this sort of like little adolescent voice where his voice is changing. And then the person who picks him up has like, you know, he's like a monster. And I had this vision of uh, these old uh, hot rod uh, paintings that they used to do uh, with spray paint on t-shirts, which were these giant monsters sitting in these souped up hot rods and this, the, uh, the the gear shift is like, you know, four feet over their head and and that this kid somehow got into this situation and then he's scared. But in the end, when the car takes off and that's like, I forget what that sound is. It's some like monster car. Uh, he starts laughing uncontrollably. And I used actually, uh, I had this sound effects library from Hanna-Barbera. So I found all these like, you know, these crazy cartoon laughs that I'm sure were used in a million cartoons. And I put those on the end of it and put in the sound of the engine changing gears. And, you know, so it's like, it's like a comedy. It's like a comic movie picture, a little vignette. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, what about uh, like pieces like Pandora's box? What, what was your inspiration for that one? Well, Pandora's Box uh, was a club in on the Sunset Strip in Hollywood that was pretty much gone by the mid '60s, and I went there when I was in high school. Someone took me there, and they were playing Bob Dylan, and so it was the first time I ever heard Bob Dylan, and it was just like such an experience, you know, like that was life changing. But it was sort of a hippie club and they had live acts there and all sorts of weird people hung out. 
There's a little shot of it in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He reconstructed it. And it's sort of a little building that's painted like a candy cane. And you can see it behind one of the scenes. Um, and so my take on it was that it was like being in a band, because I was in a band back then. And the band starts falling apart. In other words, all the they're in a groove and it's sort of like a doors kind of groove, you know, bump, 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 you know, and all of a sudden everybody starts to lose the groove and play out of sync with each other. And then at a certain point, you just hear this, this sort of time machine sound of like being pulled into the warp of the sixties. And then it's just like really analog synths, with cellos and a solo violin and voices and string quartets. And it's just like, it's basically just like a trip, you know, and I used flute Mellotrons in it, which um, the Mellotron was a really early instrument you can hear on like Strawberry Fields Forever. It's a, a tape loop instrument. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's really what that was. So it was just sort of like a lot of energy and a lot of fun and a lot of noise, a lot of screaming noise. <laughs>
so when thinking about noise and sounds that uh, you were growing up in LA, how did that affect the album? Like, like with the different sounds that you grew up with, uh, did you try and recreate some of those sounds with some of the specific uh, songs on the album? Well, let me look at my album list. Uh, there were more impressions than specific sounds, although there's one track called El Coyote. And El Coyote is like the quintessential famous California Mexican restaurant. And when I was a little boy, I used to go there all the time because my mom grew up uh, in Laredo, Texas, where there was a huge Hispanic population and she was bilingual. And uh, so when she moved to LA and when she got married, I think she missed that. And so she would always take us there and just talk Spanish to all the waiters. And so that has this sort of combination of Latino sound. So it has the sound of a flamenco guitar. It has the sound of a mariachi, a brass mariachi band. And then it goes into sort of a more contemporary um, Latin groove, like a dance groove, like mm -hmm. really heavy drums and heavy bass and sort of a screaming uh, sort of Carlos Santana electric guitar. So I guess those were, they're all sounds that, that I remember, but I reinvented them and they're not like literally, what was that sound I heard? It wasn't oh, right. exactly like that.
what has been the most rewarding experience while composing this album? Well, one of the great experiences is uh, after I wrote it and I was mixing it, you know, we have, you know, 50 tracks of music on each piece. Working with my old friend Greg Prestopino, who I met in college, and uh, we've done three albums together now, and he produced the album and mixed it. And we did it during COVID. So he was, you know, we were masked up in his studio, just the two of us. And uh, it was it was a really great experience to hear his take on it. It's always interesting to hear what someone else thinks. I know what I think, but a lot of times you put music or art or something out there and people see something or hear something in it you never even thought about. And that's how it is working with Greg. He'll like start bringing up the sound picture. He creates a very real space. If you listen to it on good speakers or in good headphones, it's like you go into the world. Each one is unique. And he he has the musical background uh, more, he has more of a pop background than I do. Uh, he's produced and he's written a lot of pop songs. And he brought so much to the album. And I think that was the most rewarding part of it in an odd way. It wasn't writing it, it was working with somebody. Because, you know, we were pretty isolated. You know, I was just stuck here with my family, which isn't bad, but <laughs> it was a weird experience, weird year to say the least. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Sure, we all feel that.
are there specific tracks on the album that really strike you as especially meaningful that that means something more to you uh, than it may to others? Well, I think my favorite track and the one that somehow resonates with me is Summer Dreams. And it's almost like a mantra. It just keeps repeating a figure and then there's electric guitar riffs over it. And it feels, for some reason, it just feels like when you're on the beach and it's hot and you're laying there and you're thinking about the world and you're thinking, feeling that heat of the sun and the sand, it, it's just um, a really unique moment. And, and I feel, at least for me, that I captured that with that piece. And that's the piece, that's the piece I'm going to make the first video of that one. So, uh, uh, but it's very nostalgic. And uh, and it really, I don't get tired of listening to it. I get tired of listening to some of it, of course, but, and you can call them, I know you want to call them cues because you work with film composers a lot. Yeah. And there are, I guess there's sort of cues, you know, I, that's, I've spent my whole life writing cues, so. Yeah, yeah, but they but are tracks. They're, they're definitely unique they're tracks. tracks. Yeah.
for the album with um with players that you had for orchestra players how many of them did you have and uh how did you arrange it to have them play right well i'm trying to think we had violin cello we had a saxophone player but he played about five different parts as if it was a saxophone group electric guitar um voice you know it was a, a, a i would pick out what i would want for the lead instrument and we would i would hire someone to do it and the way uh the way it was done is i wrote out the part so at least there was a starting point and uh it was it, it was just done uh by email it's like uh i would i only hired musicians the first question was can you record yourself at home? <laughs> and I think that musicians who had already had experience doing that did just fine during the pandemic. But it's like where you would see the, all the YouTube videos and TV things where, where like there'd be like a band playing together. You know, the Rolling Stones playing, there was one of them. You know, everybody, they weren't playing together. They were each playing to a click track and an editor laid it all down and mixed it and then sunk it up and you know did their video magic nobody was playing together nobody mm -hmm. it was all done virtually and you can't uh like you and i are talking right now but we couldn't play a piece of music together because no matter how good your internet is there's going to be a, a latency a delay between you and me which is no problem because it's a milliseconds when you're talking with someone, you don't notice it. But if you're like trying to be, you know, right on a beat with somebody, forget it, it ain't gonna happen. So that's been frustrating for a lot of, a lot of people, but uh, that's, they haven't come up with a, a way to do that really a, very a well. A better way to do that. Yeah. Uh, so with that, did you did you have it finally mixed together later? Yeah, so I okay. I wrote everything, and I wrote the. Let's say I was doing a, a violin part. I played the violin on the synthesizer so I could hear what it was, but then I wrote down the part and I sent it and the track without the violin to like my my uh, violinist whose name is Jinty McTavish. And then she would record it, send it to me. I'd listen. I'd go, yeah, but, uh, you know, can you get more energy out of this part? Or maybe we can change this. It's a little weird. And so we would go back and forth a few times. And then I would have the track, lay it in, uh, and then we would mix it, mix it down. One of the tracks on the album that I really resonated with was P.O.P. Davy Jones Locker. Really? Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, For some reason, like I really like that track. Can you break that down for me? Sure. P.O.P. Uh, stands for Pacific Ocean Park. And for maybe about, at the most, 10 years, there was a pier, pier outside of uh, near Venice that had all these rides on it. And it was done not like a sleazy old-fashioned pier, but... Uh, 
it was done like like a Disneyland kind of deal where everything was designed and there were beautiful art pieces and big octopus, you know, purple arms and it was really, really cool. And uh, but they did have one ride on not ride, but a sort of a place you went in called Davy Jones Locker. And that was scary and damp because you were on a pier and it sort of had a slightly frightening uh, dark side to it. And my wife used to tell me that when she went on there, it was really scary for a, for a young girl to go on there. She could remember being scared. And so I wanted to do something about that. And I thought Davy Jones Locker and so, so I think what I did is I made it a little bit like the typical sea shanty with the accordion and a few weird instruments that sound like that. But then what I did is that I started building sound effects underneath it. So it started with just a little bit of ocean sound. And then as the piece goes on, a storm comes in. So you start hearing wind. And then at one point you go under the water and I got all these underwater sounds and then I I altered them so that the sound of the bubbles wasn't and then I, then the wind built up and the sounds and this and and until the very end where it died down. So it was like going into a rabbit hole a little bit. You're going into Davy Jones locker and it's getting weirder and weirder and weird and I used a lot of odd sounds like uh, if you take these plastic tubes and go around your head, it goes, and if you mm -hmm. sample them, you can make notes out of them. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of fun, fun sounds on that. That's sort of the break. The breakdown was that, that it's like you're in water and you're underwater and you're on a ship and you're, you know how when you go on a ride when you're a kid, it starts as a ride. And then as you're in it, it you're, it's not a ride anymore. You're, you're experiencing it and you're in it. And then, oh, oh, I guess, um, I guess I didn't go to Wonderland. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's sort of like, but a good ride actually takes you somewhere where you forget. Where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm Another one like that, that one. huh? I'm glad you like that one. That, oh I, yeah. I'm surprised that a lot of people mention that one. They like it. Yeah, there, there's a handful on here that I really, really found fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was Mulholland Nights. That Mulholland. was really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's Mulholland. Okay. And Mulholland is the, okay, so LA is like, goes to the ocean. Then there's a mountain range called the Santa Monica Mountains, and on the other side is the valley, the San Fernando Valley, okay? Well, Mulholland is the street that runs along the peak of that range. So on one side, you see all the lights of the valley, and on the other side, you see all the lights and buildings of LA. And it, since time, since cars were invented, it's like been a makeout spot, you know, because it's dark, and it's the the road is curvy. There's no lights, and you know there's some turnouts and little overlooks, and it was always like where you take your girlfriend, you know, and there so there are all these stories that 
were told when I was a little boy, like about the hook, who was the crazy person who was out in the mountains who had a hook and how he'd go and smash the windows and kill the lovers in the car. You know, there were all these stupid stories, but they were scary when you're a kid. Oh, you know, and so Mulholland, it's in a lot of movies and you can look it up to see pictures. But I sort of made it like a, a like an L.A. noir kind of thing, like like L.A. in black and white. You know, you're up on the mountains and all the lights are out there and you're in a really cool convertible. And the way I did it is that I used a, a tenor sax and it sort of I wrote just a really sort of pretty, maybe sexy melody. But underneath it, uh, the the, the groove is just, it's always sort of a little jerky and changey because I, I wrote these pads and then I put some filters on them that would, when they got above or below certain levels, it would just cut them out. So, and then I put a, a really straight ahead drums on it and the sax uh, player, uh, uh, Mark Hollingsworth. And he did all the sax and that he did a great job on that solo. And it's exactly what I wanted. So it's very straightforward, but the accompaniment of it is like clustered violins and sort of this weird jerky thing. But then there's just the straight ahead kick drum, snare, kick drum, snare. So it's sort of a cool thing.
one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, and this I didn't realize that you had done either, was the Phantom of the Opera. I didn't realize you had done that project. And that, I mean, that's astounding. You know, you, you said you know an hour. And, I've I've seen it in different different ways. Like bits um, of it, yeah. Yeah, and I've seen bits and pieces of the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera. It's great. Well, that's, well, uh, uh, a few years before that, I was commissioned to do Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, and they performed that. That was in Dallas, but then they also performed it out here. There's a, a uh, an orchestra that does outdoor concerts in the summer. And then the conductor of that said, Craig, let's do another one, because people loved it. You know, they brought in these giant, what are they called, videotrons or something, or... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so everybody could see it because there were a couple thousand people in the orchestra. And it's fun for the orchestra to play. You know, they always try to play stuff that isn't just the ordinary orchestral stuff. And so I went uh, and he thought of Phantom of the Opera and I'd never seen it. I mean, I'd seen little cuts of it. I knew what Lon Chaney looked like, but I never watched the movie. So I watched the movie and I was floored. It's a good movie. Mm -hmm. it, it's a good story. It holds together. So I wrote the score and it was really successful. And now I've been, since I finished LAX, my new project is to uh, get a good recording of the score, which is a little difficult because it's a full orchestra. So it's, I have to sort of c combine ins real instruments with samples because there's no way I can afford or anyone's going to pay for, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for an orchestra for for this kind of project, uh, but it's sounding great. Uh, there's a vocalist on it, a, sopr uh, a soprano, and we're recording her in a couple of weeks. And then what I'm going to try, I didn't, unlike LAX, where I already had a record deal where I, when I first started it, this I don't. So I'm going to finish this, because my, my idea was to put it all together and then see if there's a company that wants to release the movie with it. Mm-hmm and then the soundtrack. So I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it's 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 purely orchestral. I mean, there's no, there's an organ in it because there's a lot of scenes of him playing the organ. So you have to have an organ. Yeah, definitely. And uh, my organ sound is actually like four organs put together. So it's just like this monster, monster of an organ. Mm -hmm. It's fun. I mean, it's a really fun score. It's a lot of notes. I imagine. I mean... It, it's a big an hour and a half you said right yeah the typical film oh. score even a movie like the last starfighter which had a lot of music in it i think maybe it was 60 minutes or 55 minutes of music so this is this is a lot a lot yeah that's really impressive though i i'm i'm just <laughs> i'll let you know when it's done i'm flabbergasted because <laughs> it's it's amazing you know it this project, the LAX, this is a really unique project. I really like it. Like, as I was listening to the album, I just, I really enjoyed all the tracks that I was listening to. And, and I could, it's almost like I want to be there. Well, that's good. Because like I said, just because of how I've always been a very dramatic composer, I was not a great songwriter when I used to do that because everything I did was dramatic. So, so these are like 
paintings. So you are there is somewhere to go into in each track. So they're like they're like movie scores without the movie, but they're they're much more heightened than a movie score because movie scores have to be under a bunch of stuff. This is just, you know, balls out, so
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley. If you are an Apple podcast, please give the show a five-star rating. Check out the content over at SoundtrackAlley.com, as well as Cinematic Sound Radio, where most of my new material is posted. If you have a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. 